Teachers are so important. Like, they actually are. Care about it and, like, actually try. I believe it is a beautiful piece of art. Welcome along to See Me After Class for 2020. This is a podcast that emanates from a beautiful school in the southern Alps of New Zealand. Now, let's meet the team. And here is Cathy, a parent who aspires to make connections in a community to build a successful future. This is Chris, who aspires to be an agitator who tests the boundaries just to see how the system reacts. And this is Anna, a silent observer who's a go-between between the students and the teachers in a classroom. This is Renee, who aspires to forge a progressive and creative path. And together, we are See Me After Class. Hello listeners, welcome along to episode 54. It is term four, week three. I'm here with Anna and Chris at our favourite little local cafe recording for the week. Hello you two. Hello. Hi. How's the week been? It's been a big one. In fact, one of my colleagues said to me today, I think this has been the longest year ever. And I think it sort of has. Like, I know our years are very clearly described, but for some reason it just seems to have kept going. It's so never ending, isn't it? Yeah. I heard a great phrase the other day about the days are short, but the years are long. Or is it the days are long and the years are short? But this feels like the longest year. Yeah. And on and on. To be honest, the days feel reasonably long too sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> the moment. <laughs> I've been having some awesome things happen. Like, I, I have a class of year 11s. I teach two year 11s like you do, Renee. And the final assessment that we both choose to do, this thing we call significant connections, which essentially ties the whole year's work up, where they have to kind of look at all the texts they've studied throughout the year and discuss the outcomes of that and the things they've learned through the reading of those texts usually focused on an idea the kids performance and kind of insight and commitment to that learning has just been so good so sophisticated and so passionate that I'm blown away and I keep giving I've only done the provisional marking and all the marks are so (laughs) high and I'm thinking is this just an outburst of enthusiasm or is this actually what marks are going to get and obviously we go through a process of moderating and I'll establish whether my initial marks were actually accurate according to the standard but right now it's just looking spectacular and I'm not quite sure what's led to that but something's happened well I think it's not I mean sometimes they they I hope that they get this um, and I'm sure you'll express it to them it's a celebration of their whole year isn't it like it's just the things that they're doing right now are really like they really they're, they're just bringing it all together and it's such a satisfying feeling as a teacher oh it is and, and, and it would be actually nice, nice to know exactly what it was <laughs> was we it lockdown or was it you two that's the question Yeah, we could say that it was. we did a lot of teaching over lockdown and we I did. do feel like that possibly is a component to it we discovered that a lot of teaching broadly speaking didn't happen and so that's possibly it, but I don't know. Maybe it's also just we've been doing this for a while and we're starting to get better at it. I don't I think, know. I think both of our Level 1 programs are so well established at this point mm. 
like we we've really been doing this for the last four or five years these programs mm. and we've, we've we've honed them that's true so it could be that that's could that be. sweet spot yeah. we're not yet bored of them just wait and next year we'll tap into that <laughs> yeah we'll see what's happened to that and then of course we'll go and change them all yeah. again won't we <laughs> So um, uh, there's still this identity conversation going on in the air. And I think the thing that keeps bringing us to having it come up in our podcast is because, well, it's particularly happening for me because I'm interviewing a series of students on identity and those podcasts will come through in this stream. But it's meant that we've been reflecting on our own identity and I have to admit to expressing some frustration at other people's inability to to name something that, that, that helps them to identify themselves. Have you noticed that, Anna? I don't know if I've noticed that. <laughs> no, not at all. I don't feel under pressure in the slightest. Ask us the question and we will try and answer it. So, Come on, okay, Chris. you two. Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? So we've both, obviously, Renee and I have both been reflecting a lot. And this question has sat on the front of my mind for weeks now because of you. Thank you, Chris Wall. Um, And really and realistically, I think I come to the conclusion today that I identify as a strong woman. And as a strong woman, I don't just mean that metaphorically. I mean that physically as well. And maybe that's something that um, makes me slightly vulnerable because it doesn't necessarily fit the stereotypical female. Um, I was brought up to play lots of sport, and I am quite good at sport. I'm also um, not the stereotypical uh, body shape for what is perceived by some members of society to be beautiful. However, um, I am strong, and I can run fast, and I can do things that make me proud to be who I am. So the likes of playing rugby or following my little boys on the bike or falling off my bike like I did this weekend and getting up and keeping going and nobody noticed. So things like this, I think, continue to come back to who I am and who I am is a strong woman. Does that answer your question, Chris? Now, now I've got material to work with. Finally. And no, it's been really lovely because it's come out as a thread over time. And you talked about being a mum, which of course is super important and as part of who you are. You talked about being a migrant. Mm. But then you talked about that moment as a rugby player That's in right. your early 20s yeah. and how that was a moment of sort of self-identification for you and that's the strength side what interests me of course is to ask the following question which is now that you see this in yourself and feel a sense of pride and and a sense of um, affinity with that what does that mean for the way you run your life how does that relate to you in the world this is another series of podcasts isn't it (laughs) (laughs) setting us up for week number four week number five um I think with me, I continue to realize I am a role model. And I'm not just a role model for my family and my boys. I'm a role model for all the people that I continue to meet at school. And for a lot of the girls that I meet at school as well, um, I think some of them don't quite know how to take me because I'm not their teacher. I'm their TA in the class and often I will work with everybody within a class. And some of them find a real affinity with me. And they'll ask me, but what is your job, Anna? So I do try and establish that I am the go-between between a teacher and them. And some of them can really relate to that and relate to me. And if I am that strong woman that they can relate to and think, right, I feel safe with that woman. I feel I like the way that she makes me feel when she's sitting beside me and encouraging me, then that is who I want. That is who I am. It's not who I want to be. It is who I am. 
That's awesome. And of course, <laughs> you're now offering to these young students the sense of security because you, have, you carry around the sense of your own strength. And of course, strength is not something that is typically ascribed to women. No. And there are, and the types of strength that mm. you're talking about are also not the kind, because the strengths that are often ascribed to women are those kind of tolerance strengths. And you, and that's not what you're talking about, is <laughs> not it? Not at all. The other thing that I think I bring to um, HQ, so HQ is where um, the rest of the kids with extra needs, they all are centred around within the school. It's a very female-dominated environment, and um, again, within that, I feel that I'm happy to be quiet and listen to all the other people's perspectives and points of view, and then give my own perspective from the experience I've drawn on through teaching in the UK, teaching in Australia, and can be that strength and can be that uh, reflection sometimes that maybe other people don't have the ability or don't have the confidence to put forward in an environment like that. I think that people listening will find this whole notion of you identifying that way is so interesting because the way you present, the way you communicate, the, 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 even the, the Scottish accent that you have all denotes something quite different really? to what you're talking really? about. And so that's awesome. Like that's, that's what's great. We talked about intersectionality last week, mm. but this whole idea that we are multitudes of things all at the same time, but that you can be all of that and at the same time consider yourself to be strong is just a fabulous way to be in the world isn't mm. it i also think it's interesting that you think that um with an, this accent or the way that I, I look that you wouldn't necessarily name anna brown as strong woman but um that it's it's a good thing it's a good thing to i think feel now i know you've made me question it so much that now i know and i consistently have reflected on it for the last couple of weeks and think yes right you keep coming up to this one you keep coming back to this this is what you are. Is there strength for you in that? Absolutely. Probably naming something. I think, Renee, you and I both discussed it. Um, the possibility of appearing vulnerable, mm. not just amongst colleagues and friends, but um, publicly. Like what, what do we continue to come back to? And as women, we're continued to... Uh, it, it's continually discouraged to speak out, I'd say, um, so to have the strength of character, um, to be able to stand up and say what you are and who you are for other people to then hopefully follow on mm. from you. But I get as much of that from a lot of the students that we have at school and think they are so, they seem so confident, they seem so brave. So I believe it's a two-way street, so perhaps that's what has been the catalyst this week, is that I see strong girls at school. So is that whole lean in notion which I think is a good one mm, but mm. we've also talked about the importance of others leaning out and I do think in our society we have that context of a lot of men being encouraged to step up all the mm -hmm. time and women conversely being subtly discouraged mm -hmm. from doing the same thing and then how difficult it can be to actually do it. I actually think also we are saying that you have an identity that's not obvious to others and I do relate to that. Mm. I find a point of relating to you on that and that's mm. another thing about identity. I now think it's interesting because sometimes you'll have to come out as a strong woman. Mm. You'll have to actually tell people that that's who you are yep. because they won't necessarily read that by mm. interacting with you on the surface. Mm. And so there's these things about ourselves that are the core of who we are and what we identify as that we sometimes have to actually 
state in order for them to be known and it may even change the way people relate to you mm. if you do there is a risk in that there's a risk in everything there's i think i feel that my life has kind of continually been about risking things and pushing the envelope and putting myself into uncomfortable situations whether it's changing countries moving jobs coming out of education going back into education after a long spell of it away so it's not something i'm unfamiliar with but it doesn't make it any easier to feel that discomfort, I think, as well. The other thing, of course, and obviously I definitely identify with this as a, as a gay man, is that once you say one thing about yourself, the worry is that that's the only thing that Very people true. will see. Very and true. that can be just as problematic as not being seen. Mm. And so let's switch to Renee. Hi, Renee. So we're trying All to have... All eyes are on me now. <laughs> yeah. slightly terrifying. And in a cafe, it's like the eyes of us, but also the people surrounding <laughs> us who are starting to find this conversation interesting. So... Tell us something about yourself that you feel characterises who you are, that's important to you. Well, I've been doing, like Anna, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this since we first started. <clears throat> I think my initial response in the car, actually, on the way here was that, well, I've been in education for 22 years, either as a teacher or as a student, and, well, what, else, what other things do I know? But I'm sitting here really thinking about some of the characteristics that Anna's talking about, thinking about the things that I take pride and pleasure in in my life and I think that at the core of it I'm a nurturer I'm a person who cares deeply about the feelings of people around me and mm. I think that's something that pushed me towards being a teacher because part of being a big part of being a teacher is about caring about those that are in your care but it's not just that part of my you know job that that defines me um I also hope to one day be that have a bit of the strong woman in me and I think that over the course of getting to know you Chris and um, our, our boss Gina and other people um, that I've met down this way in Monica I've taken steps towards that too so at the core I'm a nurturer but I would also say that at the young age of 27 my identity is still pretty fluid and it has quite a lot of uh, milestones to come. Mm, I think it's interesting and, and really uh, worth pursuing to ask about what it's like when your identity is something that people would consider to be a stereotype. Yeah. So you might attach nurturing as a stereotype with totally. femaleness, for example. And that can sometimes almost devalue something that's actually a really powerful part of who you are. Is mm. that something that, I mean, does it, is it difficult? I think one of the things about our identities that might be true is that it's sometimes difficult to say. I think so. And so is that difficult to yeah, say? Yeah, I think, I, well, definitely. Like, I don't... I think what you just said before about just being known as the one thing comes yeah. into play here. Like, I... Yeah. At the core of it, I do believe I'm a nurturer, but I don't just want to be that one thing, and I don't mm. think that I am that one thing, but it is the thing that underpins. At the end of the day, it's the thing that underpins it all, and when I have to look quite honestly at myself, I, while it is very stereotypical, I'm really proud of it. Like mm. I think that it's, it's a thing that brings me joy and hopefully, step by step, will make me you know, lead, a, lead a fulfilling life and, and, and engage in things that I enjoy. So while we're talking about these things that we're proud of about ourselves and that we help us to build a sense of who we are, we're going to segue into school prize giving. Very good. <laughs> and just think a little bit about the degree to which school prize givings are exercises in affirming what is truly of value in a person. One of the things that 
Anna, you made clear last week was that when you got together with your rugby team, it was a moment of first recognition of things about yourself that you're proud of. And obviously that means that school didn't do such a good job at bringing some of the things to the surface about you that have always been there that you identify with and are proud of. What are your thoughts about that? With school prize giving, with giving prizes for things, it seems at my school it was almost entirely academic and there was no real celebration about the arts, there was no real celebration about sport. There was acknowledgement, but everything seemed to be pushed towards academia. Um, and therefore, if you weren't going to university, then there was, uh, there was never any discouragement, but there wasn't the encouragement that other kids might have got. However, there was a prize for an all-rounders award. And guess who got that one? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anna Brown. Yeah. Or Anna, whatever your Anna name Cochran. was. Anna Cochrane. Anna yes. Cochrane. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I felt blown away by the fact that I was actually given any sort of prize. And I remember looking back at one of the teachers who had taught me in year seven um, with her head in her hands. I was thinking, oh my gosh, I've really upset her. I can't believe it. But actually, she was, I think, overwhelmed by the fact that the kid that had been really middle of the road and not flash at absolutely any one thing had been recognised for the fact that she was probably a nurturer, really happy within a class, really chipper within any environment because I really enjoyed school and I made the most of absolutely everything, whether it was sport, drama, music, everything. And that one prize in amongst 50 others was the one thing that I think, yeah, she can get that. That's good. And she was proud of that. So there was that. There's one prize for one all-rounder. One. One. <laughs> what about at your school, Chris? Oh, let's not talk about my school. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about Renee's school. Oh. Let, let, <laughs> the, um, so answer your questions, Anna. <laughs> I, know that you, I know you got a lot of acknowledgement at your school, but let's talk about nurturing. Like, mm. How was that acknowledged? Well, to be honest, I don't know that it really was. I don't mm. know that it was my nurturing. Well, actually, to be fair, I also got the all-round prize, Anna. <laughs> Did you? Funnily enough. Look at your nurturers here. <laughs> I know. So maybe that's what it is. That's it. <laughs> no, uh, no. And it was, I think you're quite right. Ours was pushed very heavily towards, um, there were a lot of sporting acknowledgements that happened really? at our prize giving at school. Yeah, huge sporting acknowledgements and, and academia, which... The educator in me says is a function of school and so that is the thing that we should be recognising at that moment. There, there, are, there are a multitude of things that make up a fantastic student but the core function of school is to, to educate. Mm. And so I think academia is really important but no, there was definitely a distinct lack of other appre appreciation outside of sports and academia at my mm. school. So if you do talk about mine, I mean I didn't. I don't think it's any surprise to anybody that I got no prizes, but the, um, <laughs> and I did quite well academically, as in, you know, good marks, but the only thing I can kind of recall, we are talking some time ago, that, re that I can recognise about myself from those final stages of school is the, there's a summarising comment on my school report which said, Chris is a liability in the classroom. And that was, I mean, I, I think I experienced from my school a sense of alienation. Mm. And I don't think that the academic compensated. You know, like I, yeah. So schools can destroy your identity if they're not 
if you don't find yourself congruent with what they're trying to create. So I was definitely not the kind of character that my school was trying to create, and they wanted to make that very clear. They, they kind of disassociated themselves with me more than anything. Mm. I find that amazing, isn't it? As teachers, we've got such power um, to make a comment in a child's um, report that will sit with them for the rest of their life. And if you are not really thinking through the impact of what you're writing, that will stick with you for your life. Yes, I think not only does it stick with you, but I think it almost becomes um, a definition. We're defined by these things. I certainly have been. I'm really? still a liability in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> so you felt that you've lived up to that, or do you feel that you've lived down to that? I think both. I think there are times when I identify myself as someone who's in conflict with the environment around him and as a result ends up in conflict. And I think that's going down to being a liability. And then other times perhaps I was freed by not having to subscribe to everyone's expectations mm. because there essentially were none mm. and so therefore I could kind of carve my own path from yep. a much earlier stage in life which of course ultimately I needed mm. and I can't deny the value of the actual education and I am lucky that I was well educated and that I have intellectual capacities that have been developed through education and I value that and my school gave me that so I can't dismiss everything. But it does just go to show that while we are an educational institution and we do value the academic results, there's so much more that goes on that's important as well. And I think, I'll get Chris to comment on this one, our price giving that's coming up. Our price <laughs> giving that's coming up. <laughs> Where do you think the balance lies? Is there a balance? Well, I think there's certainly more of a balance in our price giving as a school than in my experience you know, 35 years ago at my secondary school, in that people um, arrive on the stage because they get distinction for students in the community, which is an exercise in volunteering. And that's nurturing in some cases. They may have spent many hours at the primary school or at the, uh, at the retirement home and spent time with people, and that's how they got themselves there. So there's, there's an acknowledgement of something that's beyond the standard dimensions of our... Uh, uh, structures of education and also when people get scholarships and also because I'm at times part of the selection we will bring criteria in that have to do with contribution to community as opposed to just getting a good mark and that's it so I think there is a broadening of the things that we value but I still think I mean our whole micro credentials project is all about trying to create a framework that is as robust as the other assessment frameworks in schools but that encompasses aspects of the person that are beyond what the curriculum defines mm. and I feel like it's a job that well it's a it's turned out to be a big job but a really really important one. Mm. As educators or the school environment really does lend itself perfectly to educating the whole child doesn't it? Mm. Um, they're in an environment where they do have opportunity um, within all the subjects, broad as they are, but equally learning to be part of something greater and learning to be part of a, a valuable member of a community. 
Hi, Chris. I'm just sitting in my car and I've just watched you walk straight past me as I waved to say goodbye for the day. Totally blank me. Get in your car and then back out and only see me when you, <laughs> you put your glasses on. So that was quite a wee funny experience. Hey, I just had a thought um, following today's podcast that I wanted to... Um, verbalize a wee bit more than what I did in the podcast um, recording session at the cafe today. And I've been thinking about that conversation um, and what it means to ask yourself these these, these questions of identity when possibly as someone that's never really had the the validity of their identity ever challenged. Um, And I think it's important to recognize, for me anyway, that there's a pocket of guilt that exists around that. and as a teacher, I've, I've stood by and I've watched some of my students um, battle for their identity. And now spending time thinking about my own, it does amplify my feelings that this world is a really unfair place. Um, not just in the sense that I believe everyone should be able to be who they are and be that comfortably, which is a, na- a naive and slightly idealistic thought, but in the sense that because of my cisgender, white, nu- nurturing, very stereotypical identity, I cringe away from these questions because of the absence of fight that I feel I've ever had to um, uh, go through. So the reality is, to answer your questions from today a wee bit more, is that I fit in, and I always have, and part of me wants to apologise for that, Uh, but another part of me feels that by apologising, I'm invalidating the fight that others face for their their identity, and I think that this is sometimes why we don't look at our identity in place in the world. These questions that are being asked, or these questions that should be asked, um, are confronting, because the reality is that many of us... Um, because we are so many, haven't felt like this question applies. And this comes as a response to your question about how it feels to be a person with a stereotypical identity. And when you come face to face with that, it's a little difficult because no one really wants to be vanilla. The reality is that I think, in the end, all of our identities are worth something. And my current stereotypical self has a place and a purpose. And one day will probably morph and become something new as I encounter further milestones. But anyway, I just wanted to share that thought with you before it escaped from my from my um, brain. Um, I'm sure I will see you at school tomorrow and that this will not be the end of this current conversation. See you soon. This was an episode of See Me After Class with Renee and Chris. My Twitter handle is at edutronic underscore net. And mine is at Renee Plunkett too. See you next week.